Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Linda Leatherdale has uh, backed out on us today on our Beauties and the Beast segment. Something about a family reunion. Catherine Swift, are you there, Catherine? I am here, Roy. WorkingCanadians.ca, the effervescent Catherine Swift, who turned down multiple offers to become a Canadian federal senator. Were you invited with the last crew? No. (laughs) Not not surprisingly. (laughs) And the effervescent Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament, former seatmate to the current Prime Minister, who I called a twit. Um, <laughs> it's funny, a little four-letter word, you know. You say, hey, you called him a twit. Yeah, I did. Uh, did you get invited into the Senate, Michelle? Uh, no. Well, well you don't know him, Michelle. If I had an invitation ever extended, I probably would do what Catherine's done on several occasions. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. I would dive headfirst into the trough. <laughs> uh, I, w- I wonder about that if it really happens. No, I, but anyway. I, I wouldn't. Well, I was just wondering why, you know, uh, Linda says she's going to a rowdy family reunion. But I think she's in the Senate. I think she's been invited into the Senate. I think that's why she's not here with us today. What do you mean? Let's let's start. Let's get a little serious here because we're going to have Patrick Brown joining us, the Ontario Con- Progressive Conservative Party leader. I think they need to drop that. Just call it the Conservative Party. Um, and we're going to talk to Mr. Brown about his support of a carbon tax. But let's start with the Senate. The, uh, much was made of the fact, and, and I have to salute uh, this much uh, for Mr. Trudeau's Senate selections. No former liberal MPs, no former liberal bag men or women. Uh, oh, I can hear somebody getting ready. Go. But liberal supporters, Roy. Uh, no question. Uh, and, and listen, I don't. These people are accomplished people. So frankly, I don't have a, a huge deal with any of them. But um, Peter Harder, uh, you know, former clerk of the Privy Council and stuff. He's a civil servant basically. He's he's a longtime liberal guy. Donated money, et cetera. Same with Ratna Omidvar. But she's got a good, you know, she's got a good history. But I think I think if you're pretending to be nonpartisan. Uh, frankly, the thing that struck me, first of all, Chantelle Petty-Clerk, the Special Olympics athlete, she's the one I'd say, yes, she's a gutsy lady, and I'd, I'd say, good, good for her, somebody like that in the Senate. But the thing that struck me, and this is my bias, of course, absolutely nobody who knows anything about business or economics or tax policy or the kinds of things, and that's not the whole world, of course, but that's a pretty important part of the world. Sure is. And, and none of the people here have any background in that. That's, that's exactly what struck me. I, I thought all in all, though, uh, they weren't bad selections. They weren't uh, totally independent, but they weren't overtly partisan either. And I don't know how you strike that balance. And frankly, I don't know what a, an independent Senate would look like. You know, how, how you'd really get things done in a timely manner. So that said, you know, I don't have any huge issues with the, with the selection. No, I, I, I don't disagree with you at all there, Michelle. But again, the glaring omission, and most of them, Frances Lankin. Yeah. I like Frances Lankin. I worked with, I've worked with her off and on over the years. You know, smart lady, et cetera, very left-leaning, et cetera. I, I just see a, a, an imbalance on the left side of the spectrum, 
And maybe that's not surprising, but I just think a little a little bit of more of the sort of business economic side would have been welcome. All right, let's go to the uh, business and economic, at least the economic side of things. The, the prime minister is going to, in his budget, reintroduce the age of 65 as the qualifier for old age security from 67. And uh, Michelle, I know I know Catherine's uh, temperature is rising as, as I say those things. Michelle, let me start with you. When, when, when Mr. Trudeau makes his case, is it a sustainable case? Um, I, I suppose for voters in that, in that range, but as far as I'm concerned, more and more Canadians are not, A, retiring at 65 because they can't necessarily afford to. And I don't know that by going to 65 for the OAS is going to make a difference in that. Uh, I think it's a costly move. But, again, it's a, it's a political move, and it was a promise that he made during the campaign, so he gets to put, you know, tick one off in the promise-made, promise-kept column. Yeah, the, the, thing, the interesting thing about OAS is, and the depressing thing for many people receiving it, is if you do make a living, if you're still making a living, and you've paid into this system forever, yeah. Um, and and they, they, they clawed back monstrously. The percentage is absolutely obscene that's being clawed back. Meanwhile, they're tossing money around left and right elsewhere. And maybe it's because it's the older demographic and they figure they're going to die soon anyway. So what do we care if they don't vote for us? Yeah, but the funny thing is they're not going to die soon. Thank you very much. I didn't say there was logic to their thinking, Catherine. The, yeah, but the well, problem with this, and I think it was a knee-jerk thing, pensions are complicated issues, and tons of politicians of all political stripes don't understand them. Uh, Trudeau's father cranked up CPP benefits back in the 70s without touching premiums because it got him votes. And then we saw what happened in the mid-90s. CPP was going to be a bankrupt fund. They had to double premiums, double them. You know, a lot, a, a big burden on taxpayers and employers as well. OAS comes out of general revenues. It's not a dedicated fund like CPP is. So this is a different ballgame. And what disturbs me is the estimates are that once this was phased in, the, the, the uh, move from 65 to 67, it was done. It wasn't even going to start until 2023. So it wasn't like tomorrow. It was only going to affect people who are like basically 56 or younger today anyway. It, it was going to save almost $10 billion a year. So now they've added $10 billion a year. to, And that's not chump change, you know. That, that's, that's, that's serious. It's $10,000 million. Well, it bugs me because it, it bumps it off again to the next generation. And we look at, it's, it's all, you know, we, we see politicians, again, of all stripes, kick the can down the road in so many ways. We're expecting a $30 billion deficit projection in the budget that is expected next week. Here, here's another $10 billion being added to the tab a few years down the road. Our kids, their grandkids, they can't afford this. And I'm sorry, any Canadian who has children, grandchildren, etc., should not support this move. Catherine, Simply- Michelle, October, October 19th, we had an election, right? Regardless of which party won... October 20th, they were working for the next election. Oh, absolutely. The focus was already on what was going to be happening uh, on, in, in 2019. That's, yep. and, and this is all just part of it. Do we agree? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's just like the U.S. The very next day, you're gearing up for the next election. Yeah, well, that, and, takes, you know, that takes two years. 
and particularly now when you've got fixed election dates, you know, before it wasn't quite as obvious. I'm sure it would be, you know, they'd be working the next day, but you don't know. With fixed election dates, you know, and so you can have a schedule, roll it out. Do you know what's fascinating? You know what's fascinating? They put the words fixed and election side by side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've always, eh? always thought it's so so perfect, you know. They, like you <laughs> point take take the take the part of the gun with a hole and point it away from yourself. Don't don't get don't get don't be victimized by a self inflicted gum shot wound. But it's a fixed elections um, or fixed election dates. We're going to come back with Patrick Brown, the leader of the conservative, uh, progressive conservative party of Ontario. Mr. Brown has generated uh, quite a bit of controversy or discussion anyway about his, uh, his his spoken support for a carbon tax. What exactly is Patrick Brown saying, and why is Linda Leatherdale so upset she wasn't able, wasn't able to join us today? Um, that's only partly true. She's going to that rowdy family reunion. Michelle Simpson, Catherine Swift, and the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party leader when we come back. Roy Green isn't afraid to poke the bear. The bigger the bear, the bigger the poke. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I guess once in a while, what do you guys talk about when when the microphone isn't on? Well, my uh, studio producer and I were just, Wes and I were just talking about the merits of flavored water. Trying to determine whether it has any merits or not. Talked about that for three minutes. I don't know. (laughs) Patrick Brown is with us, the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party leader. Mr. Brown tried to call in last weekend, and we had a technical issue, and technical issue was we had all the lines blocked. So, Mr. Brown, thank you for taking the time and calling us back, and sorry about last weekend. Glad I could uh, finally be on your show. Oh, me too. Before I, uh, well, you know Catherine Swift and uh, Michelle Simpson, they're both here. Absolutely. They're here, as it were, on the phone line. They're not here. Virtually. Virtually here. Before uh, before we talk about the uh, the carbon tax, um, before we talk about anything else, what is it that, um, what is it you identify as the most significant issue facing the province of Ontario that isn't being addressed by the Wynn government? What is it what is it that really needs attention that they're just massively blowing? I think the greatest area that they're fumbling is energy prices. Um, the notion that we've given away $3.5 billion in energy to our competitors because of the massive surplus we have, they keep on signing contracts for energy that we don't need. Uh, it has been so mismanaged. You know, the Auditor General said essentially their political intervention has cost Ontario $37 billion. It's quality of life. People can't afford it. But, but it's also killing jobs left, right, and center. It's also killing people. Uh, Bjorn Lomborg was on my program during the Paris um, COP21 conference, and then subsequently... And he talked to us about the increase in the cost of electricity in Europe, in England particularly, where seniors are dying because they can't afford their electricity. They ride buses all day long to stay warm, or they stay in bed all day. And I saw stories, for example, in the province of Ontario, in, in Bruce Gray County, 2004, February 2004. The United Way spokesperson was worried that somebody might die 
because of because there are people who could not afford the, to warm their homes, and and a lot of that has to do with electricity prices. In 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 Ottawa and uh, and Toronto, electricity went up eighty percent in cost between two thousand and four and two thousand and fourteen. It's a huge issue. How do you address it, Mr. Brown? How do you make the difference? How, what's the change that has to happen? Well, uh, first of all, this fire sale of, of Hydro One isn't going to help the, uh, the the situation. It will cause energy prices by the government's own emission to continue to rise by as much as another 42%. Um, the notion that they're giving, you know, execs at Hydro One now $4 million paychecks when in Hydro-Quebec is 400000 for the CEO, it's just completely disrespectful uh, towards uh, taxpayers. In, uh, in terms of these contracts they're, they're signing, it, it, I have to stress this. We are we are giving away energy because we can't store the surplus that we've we've uh, purchased, and we're purchasing and signing contracts with South Korea and China, 25-year deals that we have to give it to our competitors. There's a reason Manitoba has hydro prices half what we have in Ontario, or Quebec a third. We have the fastest growing electricity prices, and this is a big part of it. But you know, I think it speaks to how crazy the situation is in Ontario, um, is last week when they signed these 16 new contracts for energy we don't need that we're going to give away, at the same time that we are signing these wind contracts, Quebec was signing them for half the price. At the same time. Like, can you believe that? Unfortunately, I can. Unfortunately, I can. And, and I live I, to, to, I today I live in Quebec, and tomorrow I'm going to be in Ontario. Catherine, go ahead on the carbon tax. Well, no, I, no. Listen, I, I, uh, I, I don't know all the details, Patrick, but um, I do know you have proposed a revenue-neutral carbon tax, and I guess the, you know, I, you know, why don't you tell us how that would work? Okay. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, there was uh, a national conversation on on uh, cap and trade. Kathleen Wynne responded uh, by introducing legislation at Queens Park. Um, she put forward legislation, which would be a $1.9 billion revenue grab that they could spend on whatever they want for bigger government. They've already spent it on aspects and, and funding that has nothing to do with the, with the environment. It, it is a revenue. It is a cash grab. And, you know, we as conservatives can run from the debate on the environment and simply, you know, say nothing. And, frankly, we tried that before. We tried that in the last federal election. It, it didn't work. Um, or we could actually propose solutions. And so the solution and alternative that we put forward was that, one, it should be revenue neutral. The Liberals said no. We said that every single cent should go back in tax relief. Tax relief, an income tax, broad-based uh, business tax relief, the Liberals said no. Our amendments, our suggestions were refused, and we ended up voting against the Liberal cap-and-trade proposal but I do believe we have to come up with alternatives as conservatives. This notion that conservatives can't talk about the environment is not going to wash in Canada today or Ontario today. And the reality is I don't think I'm being inconsistent as a conservative coming up with the notion that polluters should pay and that it should be returned in tax relief. That was the principle upon the acid rain treaty that Ronald Reagan and Brian Rooney signed. And let's not forget, it was Bill Davis who created the Ministry of the Environment, and it's David Cameron who just won a massive re-election in the UK by talking about the environment. And if I could quote Preston Manning, he said, 
there's no contradiction in conservatism and conservation, and I absolutely agree with that. Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament, also Ontario resident. Michelle, question for Patrick Brown, or, well, or statement. I guess I still have the same question, Mr. Brown, um, because it, uh, it, it, the answer wasn't clear. You know, it's easy to use the words revenue neutral and, and how, how it's really going to look, but we all know, not just in Ontario, but Canadians as a whole, as soon as you talk about any kind of tax, and then try to tack on revenue neutral, it's never worked out that way. So what is it that's different about your proposal, and how would you convince Ontarians that this was truly a revenue neutral carbon tax? Well, my approach, rather than the Liberal approach, which is $1.9 billion to government revenues, my approach is that the Auditor General should have oversight and it should be mandated back in tax relief. Not every single cent. None of it can go to any other purpose other than tax relief. And we've actually put forward an interesting proposal. We actually launched a website for Ontario.ca and said to anyone in Ontario, what type of tax relief should that be? And you can have your input, you can have your say uh, and suggestions on how we should deal with the environmental challenges of today. But what I'm not willing to do is I'm not willing to be a climate skeptic. I'm not willing to put my head in the sand and say I'm not going to engage in this debate on the environment. Uh, and, and I think a modern, inclusive, progressive conservative party is willing to say we can have a strong, vibrant economy and protect our environment. Mr. Brown, we have we've come to the end of our, our time, um, but what I'd like to propose is that you come back on the show a little bit longer. We'll take a half an hour, and we'll take some calls from across the country and get, and get and get Canadians engaged with the ideas that you have for the province of Ontario and see how it plays in the rest of Canada as well. Would you do that? I, I would love to be on your show again. All right, let's set, let's set that up for sure. Thank you very much for joining us today. Catherine, Michelle, we'll talk to you guys next. No, not next Saturday, two weeks from today. Oh, look forward really? to it. Happy Easter, everyone. Thank you, because I'm not working right. next weekend. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm heading back to Ontario to find a place to live. No, i got to go. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks again, Mr. Brown. We'll come back and wrap up after this.